welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and today we have a smoking hot show to, for you. And I say that literally because we are going to talk about smoking meats. And this is going to be an episode that you are absolutely going to want to keep handy. You're going to refer back to this in the fall, I guarantee, because as you start to get out there on your hunts and you get some animals in the freezer and you've got all this meat and you're looking for new creative things to do with your game meats. There is no hotter trend, again, no pun intended, than smoking your game meats on these pellet-fired smokers. And I am super stoked to have my friend and roomie from Turkey Camp this past spring, Mr. Chad Ward, as our guest. Chad is a member of the pro team for Traeger uh, Pellet-Fired Grills, as well as the uh, founder of Whiskey. Bent Barbecue down in Florida. Chad, thanks so much for being with me today on Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. Hey, Christian, man. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Listen, dude, anytime I can have you on the show, you are more than welcome. Um, just to give people uh, a little bit of background on Chad, um, you have been in the competitive barbecue scene for quite a while. Uh, I had mentioned, you know, you're based down in Florida, and you've made quite a name for yourself uh, in the Southeast. You've won a trophy case full of uh, uh, competitions down there as far as just uh, with with your skills, uh, with with the uh, barbecue that you do. I know uh, in 2016, you, you got a five-figure check for winning the Old Florida Outdoor Festival Grand Championship, and, and I'm sure you've got tons of other titles to your credit. So kudos to you and the, the other folks at Whiskey Bent Barbecue for the work that you've done uh, with the meats. Oh, man, th- thank you so much. Yeah, we've been fortunate. We've cooked about 110 contests across 28 states and um, won eight grand championships, five reserve grand championships, and I think we've walked the stage close to 300 times across those events. So super fortunate. Wish I could do more of it these days. I'm so busy with everything else, but uh, competition barbecue always kind of be the the fabric that I was able to kind of help build build my brand on. So uh, always, always appreciate it. Yeah, you know, barbecue has been hot for, you know, for probably a, a decade or more. Or, you know, maybe even close to, to a couple decades at this point. But you know where it's really exploded in my world, Chad, and you're well aware of this, whether it be, you know, with a mutual friend like a John Dudley uh, and lots of other uh, folks who have good social media followings in the in the, the hunting world is we're just starting to see so many sportsmen pick up on this on this smoking idea. And I think a lot of the credit goes to companies like Traeger because the products that are available now really make this method of cooking so much more accessible to the average person where you don't have to go out and constantly, you know, feed hardwood into a, into a fire uh, to keep your smoke going where it's all automated now. So and just talk to me a little bit generally about, you know, what you think the big allure of, of this style of cooking is, and then maybe we can get into some of the nuts and bolts of why it's so conducive to doing things with your game meats. 
No, for, for sure. So I'll, I'll say, I mean, I think, you know, barbecue's always been that thing that to me crosses all lines, right? Um, you know, it doesn't matter what religion, political affiliation, race, none of that stuff. A good plate of barbecue brings people together. And, and I think it's a lot like the, the, the hunting community where you have people from all these different walks of life that just love the, the sport of hunting. And, you know, the, the way that you guys are, you know, I, I, I just love the way that the, the hunting community is so, so conservative in nature, but also, you know, when they, when they do take an animal, they want to make sure and, and kind of pay respect to that animal and, and, and utilize everything they can off of it um, to feed their family and friends and, and, and community. So I think that, that that's really too pretty awesome things just merging barbecue and hunting and honestly when you're taking that wild game and you're able to cook it low and slow over 100% wood it's just going to taste better than doing it on an old charcoal grill or an old propane grill uh, being able to cook over that 100% wood and, uh, and like you said without that hassle what we call throwing a log every 45 minutes it's kind of the best of both worlds yeah, absolutely. You know, I was really fortunate. You know, I mentioned that we were roommates during Turkey Camp. Um, I was very fortunate to spend some time with Chad. We got together with the guys from the Bearded Buck out in Clearfield County, Pennsylvania, back in April. Uh, and... I don't remember if it was April or May, but anyway, sometime this spring and, and they had uh, Traeger was part of the group and Chad, you came in and uh, I'm telling you what, man, the food that this man turned out every night uh, off of the Traegers, everything from, you know, traditional, uh, you know, pork ribs and chicken to uh, wild turkey to lobster and shrimp. It, it was absolutely unbelievable and honestly dude I was thinking about this before I got on the call I'm like how, what could I say to like put Chad on the proper level of your skills I, I'm gonna say you're like the Michael Phelps of meat dude you are you are totally dominant you are totally dominant in every competition it doesn't matter what race like Phelps can go in the pool right in any any style of swimming any race any competition and he just blows him away right you're like my, my Michael Phelps in his prime. I could give you fish. I could give you pork. I could give you poultry. I can give you beef. And dude, you are an absolute maestro. And I think I gained like 10 pounds just in that weekend. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite meals of the year is that one. Uh, you know, first off, it's always great to go to the Bearded Buck. You know, Jerry always says, hey, you tell me what you want and I'll, I'll get it. Make sure it's here to cook. So I, I still love that surf and turf night um, where we did the, the the prime rib, the lobster and the shrimp. I mean, that's one of those. If, uh, if I had to dial up a last meal, uh, it would probably be that one. And I would have no problem cooking it again. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. It really was. It absolutely was. And, you know, then after that, so long story short, the other thing about social media is, you know, social media is great, but it's also like, actually, I, I saw a meme today that kind of sums it up. There was, I read something on Facebook today. Somebody had a picture, you know, and they put the words on top of it and it said, I, I hope your life is as awesome as you pretend it is on Facebook. <laughs> and, and, and where I'm going with that is, 
you know, it's so easy to like get envious of people on Facebook because it always seems like, you know, somebody else is doing something cooler than you are. And when it comes to, you know, cooking, it seems like all my friends in the hunting world are like cooking all their meat on these Traegers, man. And I felt so left out. And after I spent that weekend with you guys at the Bearded Bach, I just had to give myself a Traeger. And so I got a Traeger at Father's Day and I've just been going to town with that thing. And I am telling you what, you know, Dudley actually said, <laughs> I sent him a picture of myself when I was taking it out of the box and setting it up. And he's like, he's like, dude, I'm telling you that thing is going to change your life. And I was kind of like, that's a pretty dramatic, bold statement to make about a grill. But in all honesty, yep. it, it, it's going to change the, your life because food is life, right? I mean, that's the old saying, Chad, food is life. And when you when you have better food and a better way to prepare it, it really, it really can change your lifestyle. No, it definitely does. And it changes the way, like, people come together. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, when you're proud, you know, I, I look at the hunting community as a very proud community, right? As far as when you harvest an animal, you're, you're really proud of that harvest. But then being able on a Traeger to take it a step further and prepare that harvest and, and serve your family and your friends, that, that to me, like, completes the circle. Um, and, and for us at Traeger, I mean, the outdoor community is a huge community. We, we go to we kind of go to market in three segments. Um, obviously barbecue, which I'm the director of barbecue marketing. So that side's kind of my responsibility from a marketing point of view. Then we have closely behind the barbecue community, the outdoor community. Um, and then our third kind of growing community is the culinary community. Um, more people, you know, more restaurant based and some of those things, which is growing really quickly. But the outdoor, the outdoor side of it has been really, really good for us. And, you know, with having spokespeople like John Dudley, Chad Mendez, Chad Belding, you know, all really, really folks that are respected in the community and then the others that have came on board. I mean, you know, Rogan, you know, is a, is a pretty big outdoorsman and, and he loves cooking on his Traeger. And so it's, it's been really interesting to watch, you know, we, we try to be good to the community, but the community's paid it back to us 10 X. Um, and we're just happy to be a part of it and, and, and do things we can like with the bearded buck and those folks. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, we've done a great job of setting the stage and I'd like to dive into some of the nitty gritty because I think there is, a, there is a bit of a dichotomy. You know, there's a division between what we think of as your traditional barbecue, okay? That would be like the stuff that you're doing in your competitions, right? You got like your baby bag mm -hmm. ribs and your brisket and your burnt ends and things like that. And a lot of the cuts of meat that you're dealing with for what I'm calling traditional barbecue, I don't know if that's the right term or not, but those are cuts of meat that tend to have a decent fat content. Maybe they have a good marbling. And so you've got that fat that's providing, you know, some added flavor and some added moisture throughout the cooking process. Now, step away from that and turn over, you know, at your head in another direction and look at what we're dealing with typically as... Um, hunters, right? Where most of our game mm -hmm. meats, unless, you know, uh, wild hogs, it'd obviously be a, a notable exception. But, you know, for the most part, whether it's a wild turkey, a deer, an elk, an antelope, uh, the, the, the animals that we're killing by and large are very, very lean. 
the meat that we're getting out of yep. there. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, how the cooking methodology might differ a little bit between a game meat and, and some of the stuff that you're more traditionally doing. And also why the Traeger or that smoking method of cooking is so conducive to that, because I really think it is. And, you know, and I know you kind of alluded to it earlier because you talked about that low and slow. Yeah, so so to me, let, let's start with what I call a pretty simple comparison, and it's let's let's compare domestic turkey to wild turkey. Um, the only thing I do different, so whether it's a domestic turkey breast or a wild turkey breast, um, one of my favorite rubs that we have at Traeger is called the Big Game Rub. Um, it's real savory, got a little bit of uh, turbinado sugar in it, but it pairs really well on poultry. And so I'll season it up, let it sit for about five minutes, and then I'm going to put it on the Traeger at 275. 275 is kind of a sweet spot to me um, because you, you, you get plenty of smoke, but it's not a super, super long uh, process. To, to you, 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 You're not going to take a chance of drying it out. So um, for me, turkey breast 275, I'll put them on. So if I were going to put a domestic right next to a wild turkey, the only difference would be the internal temperature when I pulled it off. The, the two best things you can get to make you a better cook overnight is obviously the trigger that we talked about. And we'll go into more reasons why. And the second is an instant read thermometer. Um, nobody knows better than the hunting community that every animal has lived a different life. Um, some of them, some of them have just been, been after it you know, ton of exercise, ton of grazing. Other ones, they're moving around, but not nearly at that rate. And that impacts the muscle in so many ways and the tenderness. So my only difference in those two turkey breasts is when the wild turkey breast gets to an internal temperature of 155 degrees, it's done to me. I will take a domestic turkey breast and go another five degrees to like a 160. And I know some people are going to listen to this and go, yeah, but isn't poultry done at 165? The, the read through the kind of the USDA's guidelines at 165 degrees, everything is dead as far as any possibilities for contamination. Right under that, it also says, or if that piece of poultry has been at 145 degrees internal for five minutes or longer. So I like to pull that. And the other thing you have to remember is even when you pull that turkey breast off at 155 for the wild one, just because you pull it off the grill does not mean that the cooking stops. So you take those, that, that turkey breast, you kind of, you don't want to wrap it hard in foil, but I call it kind of tenting it in foil. So take a piece of foil, put the, put the turkey breast or breast or breast in it. And then I just kind of close up the sides to where it's closed. But what it, that allows to happen is one, it slows down that cooking process. And as that cooking process slows down, it allows the juices to redistribute through the meat. And you want to do that for about 10 or 15 minutes and then pull it out. And just like any meat, always slice it against the grain. On those wild turkeys, you can really see that grain running hard one way. And if you slice against that grain, it's almost like, and not, not the best term in the world, it's almost like pre-chewing it. 
because whenever the person goes to <laughs> bite that slice of turkey, it's going to be really, really tender. Yeah. Um, and when you slice with the when you slice with the grain, your your teeth are fighting the grain, and you don't want to do that. Now, now talk talk to me. I, oh, actually, I want to hit on. There's so much to get into, really, you, folks. You, you wouldn't think maybe it's. There really is. I get I get jacked up about this topic. Um, you mentioned something. I was actually looking at the Traeger website, and you had given a piece of advice of talking to people about, you know, if, if you could just give people one piece of advice to be a better cook, what would it be? And you said, use, don't, don't use time as your guide in yep. cooking. In other words, don't be obsessed with how many minutes or hours your meat has been on the grill. Rely on that internal temperature. And I thought that that was so, such good advice because, you know, especially when you're first getting into this, like I'm a, I'm a new Traeger user. You, when, when you have a piece of meat that's been out there for three or four hours, you know, you're thinking in your mind, if you're used to barbecuing on propane, you're like, this thing is going to be yep. like a hockey puck out there. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> yep. but it's not. It's not at all. And, you know, with the Traeger, those probes that come with the grill are so, so awesome because the, you plug the probe right into the grill and you can keep that in the meat. And all you have to do is push the button and it tells you exactly what the temperature is in the center of your meat. And you just keep on going until you get to that that sweet spot like you talked about and then it's done. So, you know, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> and I like to say the the probes that come on the Pro Series grill, those I always call are kind of my yardstick. So, I, like you said, I can, I can go over there, I can ping that button, and I can go, all right, here's where we're at. Uh, even on the Timberline model, it's even a little bit nicer. The Timberline model has one probe, but it's connected to Wi-Fi. So the grill itself is connected to Wi-Fi, and you can look at it on your phone to see what the internal temperature is, uh, set an alarm on your phone for when it reaches the internal temperature you desire, that type of thing. So I can get, I, 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 so I can go inside and watch the game and drink a cold beer, and my phone's going to tell me when it's time to go pull my, my meat off of the, the Traeger. It, 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 if, if, I, if I didn't say that was the purpose behind it, Christian, I'd be fibbing to you. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 uh, you or, or even for me, when I go to bar barbecue contest, I can uh, put my meat on, drive a couple miles down to the hotel room, you know, rack out for four or five hours. And, you know, I just kind of set an alarm every 90 minutes. I get up and I look at the Traeger app and I go, yep, everything's, everything's moving. And then grab another 90 minutes of sleep. So, um, yeah, that, that's really kind of the purpose behind it. And, and those probes are great. And, and once it kind of hits that number I'm interested in, that's when I pull out my instant read thermometer especially we're talking like a, a roast or a backstrap, you know, I want to take some temperatures in a couple other places on it too, make sure the entire piece of meat's close to the doneness that I want, and then I'm going to pull it off and rest it again. So what's some of the, is there a particular like brand or model of instant read thermometer? Because I, I got to be honest with you, Chad, again, I'm, I'm pretty new at this. I don't own one of those. So that sounds like you're telling yep. me that's something I really ought to consider having if I want to, you know, kind of take my, take my cooking sort of the next level or whatever. Yeah, I, I would tell you um, the brand that I work with and have for years and they got a great product and they stand behind it is a company called Thermalworks. Um, and they've got they've got instant read thermometers ranging from twenty bucks to a hundred bucks. Just depends on your feature set and what you desire, but it will be one of the finest investments you've ever made if you enjoy barbecue, grilling, and smoking. 
Gotcha. And and then the other thing I wanted to circle back on is this idea of, of pulling your meat at some point in the process and wrapping it in the foil. Like, I wonder, is that something that you would recommend doing more with uh, leaner meats, game meats, as opposed to regular meats? Like, for example, um, you know, first thing I made when I got my Traeger is I made some some spare pork spare ribs uh, for mm-hmm. Father's Day. And I, I didn't wrap those in foil at all. I just cooked them, you know, for about five or six hours straight on, on the grate, you know, and, and they came out perfect. But if that would have been, say, a venison roast or something like that that I had rubbed and cooked, let's say I needed, you know, let's just say for the sake of discussion, I needed four hours to get it to that internal temperature that we're going for. Uh, would you recommend with a, a leaner meat to take it maybe two hours in or three hours in, wrap it up in foil and do the last hour or two with it wrapped? Like you said earlier, because it's going to trap those juices in, you know, you don't have a lot of fat. It's not self-basting. And, um, you know, that that's, that's a trick that maybe you use a little bit more when you're dealing with, with game meats or is that not the case? So it, it, it all depends on what cut and what finish temperature I'm going to take it to. So like, uh, let's take you know back straps for instance. I'm never gonna I'm, I'm never gonna wrap those because I'm really shooting for the finish temp on that back strap to be like 132. Um, and, and we can talk about that more in a second. What what I like to wrap is when we're talking about things like a venison roast, where it's something I'm going to want to get up to 185, 190, so it shreds apart. Two things I'm going to do there. One is I'm going to cook it in, in some type of vessel, whether that be a Dutch oven, whether it be a, just a disposable pan. And the reason I'm going to do that is I want to catch all that au jus that's going to come out of the roast. It's not going to be as much au jus as comes out of something domestically raised because of the fat content, but there's still going to be some very nice natural flavor come out of that roast during the cooking process. And I want to capture that because I want to work that back into the pulled venison whenever I serve it. Um, Meat generally quits taking on additional smoke somewhere between 160 and 165 degrees. It's taken all it can, it can take. It's not going to take any more. So at that time, our the next thing we're trying to accomplish is get it done as soon as possible without drying it out. That's why we wrap in foil. So if I have that that roast in a disposable pan, I'm going to take and I'm just going to take a piece of tin or a piece of aluminum foil. Always use heavy duty. Barbecue life is way too short for not heavy duty aluminum foil. The first time you poke your finger through it, you're going to be mad at hell. So I, I wrap the whole pan with the roast in it and put it back on. And at that time, you know, I've usually probably been about 225 until I wrap it. And then when I wrap it, I'll go to 275 degrees. And and what I'm looking for on that roast and I'll, I'll give you kind of a general 185 to 195 temperature wise but what you really want is when you when you stick your thermometer in the meat you want it to slide in really nicely and when it gets to the middle there's just a little bit of resistance and the reason you want that resistance is that carryover cooking process we talked about a little bit earlier so let's say we pull that roast off at 190 degrees the first thing you want to do is you want to open up a corner of that aluminum foil and let all that steam come out. Once all that steam came out of the roast, 
I take it, close that corner up, and I let it hang out in my Yeti for probably 30 to 45 minutes because it's a bigger cut and I want all those juices to redistribute. Once that's happened, after 45 minutes, I'll pull it out, pull it apart. I'll take that Oz U that's in the bottom of the pan and I'll run it through a fat separator because I want to get the fat out of it, which is not going to be much in wild game and just keep the pure au jus. Once that venison roast is pulled, I take that au jus, uh, kind of just run it over the top of it to kind of help even put more moisture in that meat. And then I'll go back with whatever rub I used, which is probably going to be the big game rub on venison. And I'll sprinkle a little bit of that rub and that pulled venison along with the au jus and toss it all together. And uh, it'll make a pretty dang whiz banger of a sandwich. Wow, it sounds like a whiz banger of a sandwich. Um, you know, yeah, I know, I know. We're 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 doing this at nine nine twenty five in the morning, and I'm already wanting like a big old venison sandwich. No, you're in you're in Colorado, uh, or you're in Utah rather. I, I'm in Pennsylvania. Yeah. It's eleven thirty. It's almost lunchtime, dude. I need one. Oh, you are you are you are lunchtime, bro. <laughs> um, you know, every time you give me an answer, it leads me to another question. Because as you're talking, I'm taking down notes, man. I feel like. I'm like a freshman in like a like a lecture hall, and I've got the professor of barbecue like giving me the giving me all the the info. So you talked about different temperatures. Talk to me a little bit more about you know not only I know that there's different temperatures that you need to reach for different kinds of meat, you know, for safety purposes. But you were also talking about how you know when you bring meat to to higher temperatures, it's actually going to change you know the way that that meat behaves then so in other words if you're going to pull something versus slicing something down can you talk yep. a little bit about how you know what the what the temperature ranges are for for like various applications of what you want to use the meat for i guess once it's cooked yeah so we, we covered you know so i always say depending on the what depends on what temperature you cook to is mostly the the makeup of the cut of meat so like in a roast, we've got some ligaments that need to break down. It's just a, it's a it's a it's a more worked muscle. So we we we've, we've got some toughness we're trying to cook through. So if you want to do a pull, like I said, that 185 to 195 is a really good benchmark. If you're wanting to serve that roast sliced, I would probably be looking 175 to 185. Um, obviously, it's it's going to have a little more bite to it because you want to be able to get the knife through it and slice it but still be really, really good. And, and, and what I love, if you're going to do that with venison roast, is invest in a little uh, deli slicer. Um, you know, you can get them at Cabela's, Bass Pro, you know, wherever, you know, hunting store that you use. But and it doesn't have to be one of the super expensive ones. I think they're 100 150 bucks. You can get a little deli slicer. But it makes the meat go so much further. And when you slice it really thin like that, um, it's, it's just a lot more tender than if you're taking and cutting a big old venison venison steak out of a roast. It's, uh, it's going to be a little chewy on you. I don't care how perfect you cook it. Um, and then getting into the, the leaner type, like the back straps, you know, I, I hit, I said the 132 number, but I want to talk about the process. And the process is called reverse sear. Um, so we learned at a very young age, everybody says, man, when you get a steak, um, and that's kind of the way I treat back straps, it's like a steak. When, 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 you, when you get a steak, you've got to sear it first off to sear in the juices. 
It's the worst fable in the barbecue world. You do not want to hit a steak with super high heat, uh, quote unquote, searing the juices. Because you're not searing in the juices. Because what you're doing is you're disturbing and destroying all the cellular structure within about a sixteenth or, or an eighth of an inch of, of the exterior of the meat. So if you ever take a, a steak and you do that, right? You take this cold steak, season it, and throw it on at 500 degrees. Well, that's what, hang on, let me interrupt what? you. Let me interrupt you because isn't, mm-hmm. isn't that what they do at like Morton's Steakhouse? If I go in there and pay yep. $100 for a filet mignon, they take yep. that and they throw it down on a grill that's like smoking hot, right? Yeah, yeah. Anywhere between like Morton's, Shula's, those kind of places, anywhere between like 800 and 1200 degrees. And, and you'll notice when you cut into that steak, you'll see this gray ring all the way around the outside. That gray ring, once you cut into it and look at the inside of the meat, that gray ring is the cellular structure that you destroyed whenever you seared it at that super high temp. And cells carry what? Water. So in the first 30 seconds to two minutes, you've purged all the, ex- all, all the external moisture out of those cells. And by killing the cells and creating that gray ring, you've also provided a little bit of an off flavor. So what I like to do, and it's pretty cool. Me and Dudley talked about this on his podcast and uh, Joe Rogan heard it. And this is the way he cooks all his elk now, which is pretty cool. Um, is I like hang, to say, hang, hang on, Chad. Is this, is this what's coming here? Is this what, what was became the famous Chad Ward method? Yeah, yes, this is it. Yes. Okay, okay. Uh, everybody and, and, and mark this down. This is at uh, 28 <laughs> minutes and 22 seconds into the episode, so you can tell your friends the Chad Ward method and go. Okay, quick disclaimer. I did not invent the reverse sear process. I'm just probably one of the biggest advocates for it. Hey, never, um, no, never, so, never, no, no, hang on, Chad. Never let the facts get in the way of a good story. Trust me, I've been, <laughs> I've been in publishing for 20 years. You, you take credit for this and run with it. It's marketing gold. Go. <laughs> All right, so I like to take, uh, let's just go venison backstrap here. So I like to season it down. We've got a fin and feather rub out at Traeger that's pretty good. On, on oh, it's not. It's so pretty I'll good. It it's it's really good. I yeah. did I did my kids. Uh, my son, my twelve year old, killed a wild turkey in Ohio this spring, and I took his breast and I rubbed him in that that fur and feather or fin and feather rather, and I smoked. Yep. I did a smoked turkey breast, just like you were talking about. Where then I took and sliced it down super thin, like made my own freaking better than boar's head deli meats here at my own home. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Sorry. Okay. Back. 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 Yep. On. No problem. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, see, see, season it up, and then I like to let it sit for maybe about ten minutes, just on the counter on the cutting board at room temp. Go out, turn your Traeger up to two hundred twenty-five degrees. If you have, um, if you have a Timberline that has the Super Smoke feature, you can activate that. If you got a Pro Series or an Elite Series that doesn't have Super Smoke, no big deal. You're still going to get plenty of smoke on it. So what I will do is I will put the put the backstrap on, and then also I will put. Uh, if you want, um, I'll put a cast iron skillet with a little bit of butter in the Traeger at the same time and let it start warming up. And you cook it until it's probably, depending on the size of the backstrap, going to be hour to an hour and a half. Uh, and 225, just rocking and rolling. And what you're looking for is an internal temperature of 120 degrees. 
once it hits that 120 degrees internal, pull it off, wrap it in some foil, and just let it hang out in, in a cooler. I, I, I use Yeti, but that's just what I've used for years. Um, let it hang out in the cooler. When you do that, you want to crank that grill all the way up to high. So 500 on the Timberline, 450 on the Pro Series and Elite. And once it gets to 450, it'll take a couple of minutes. Once it gets to 450, you've got your butter in your cast iron, and it's going to be super hot, which is a good thing. Because what we're wanting to do at this point is we've got the meat to relax. So we have slowly taken this meat from 40 degrees to yeah. 120 degrees. And, and because we've done it slowly, all those muscle fibers have kind of opened up. You got to relax when your you, meat. You always got to relax Exactly. And, 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 and it, it, that, that's the big difference between taking something out of the fridge and searing it in super high heat is those muscles are still kind of kind of cold, right? And when it's, they're cold, it, they're all yeah, up, bunched up together. It's the difference. You know what yeah, it is, Chad? It's the difference between like walking right into a bar, straight up to the prettiest girl there and, 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 and asking her if she wants to go home with you. That's not how it works. You got to come in. <laughs> you you got to hang out in the back a little bit. You kind of ire up and then you and your friends buy her and her friends a round of drinks and then you start some small talk and then you buy her a couple more drinks and you see if you can get her number by the end of the night. That's the difference between coming on too strong, slopping your meat right on a 500 degree grill or relaxing your meat, okay? Is that a good analogy? That, that, that's a pretty solid one. I'll give it to you. The, uh, so, so once we've got our, and I, I like to use like a, uh, I like to use a, a good butter, so like a Kerrygold butter, um, something that's kind of more clarified that doesn't have a bunch of like just just crappy uh, butter fats in it. So I'll throw a, little, a couple a couple dabs of Kerrygold in that hot skillet, and then man, it's literally searing it for about. Depending again on the thickness of the back strap, anywhere from 60 to 120 seconds, and then turn it over and do it again. And what that's going to do is a couple of things. That's where we're looking for that finish temperature of 130 to 132 degrees. And what that does is we've got all that smoke, we've got the muscle fibers relaxed. When we go to sear it in that cast iron, what it will do is now we're creating what's called the Maillard reaction. And the Maillard reaction is when proteins caramelize at high temperatures. It's also known as that crust that's really damn good on steaks. I love it. And when that's you what get we're trying all, to create, right? I, I love it when you get all scientific on me, man. When you start talking chemistry and biology, and I've had a couple of those drinks, and I'm, I'm oh my God, dude, you've got me. You've got me. When's dinner? <laughs> so yeah, well, hey, you're, you're kind of just being a Central Florida barbecue redneck. You got to throw out a couple scientific terms every now and then. Um, but yeah, and so then once it's at 130 to 132, I'm going to pull it off. Once again, kind of tin it in foil, let it chill out in my, my Yeti for 15 to 20 minutes. This is also a great time if you want to do some broccoli, if you want to do some asparagus. You've already got that grill to high. Dude, go ahead and throw it on there. Your asparagus is probably going to take 15 to 18 minutes um and so that's the perfect amount of time that that meat needs to rest and you can also get some greens done to go with that uh badass game that you cooked the, the one thing to remember the reason the reason that you want to rest is if you ever notice if you take something off the grill and then slice it you know five ten minutes later you'll get all, all you'll get all the juices on your cutting board people will call it blood it's not blood we, we bleed out animals pretty well these days it's actually the myoglobin that's contained inside the the muscles and the cellular structure. But that is flavor and that is moisture. And we want to leave it in the 
the meat and not on the cutting board. So that's why it's so key to, to rest after you finish that cooking process for at least, you know, 15 to 20 minutes. I would probably even go 30 at the time budgeted for it. Yeah, and that's why when you're talking about a cooler, you know, just in case anybody had any misconceptions, you're, you're not putting stuff in a cooler to cool it down. You're you're wrapping stuff in no. foil and putting it in an empty cooler to kind of just keep it warm in there and let it chill. And when I say chill, yep. I don't mean get cold. I mean just hang out for a little while. Yep, no, yeah, no, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yes, it's definitely a dry, clean cooler. Um, and, okay, so again, every, every time you give me an answer, it, it, it makes me want to ask you another question. So... Um, I wanted to ask you about, uh, well, actually, I'll highlight something, okay? I know, like, for instance, when I first got my Traeger, so it's only been, like, a month, six weeks. When I first got it, people were like, I, I was telling everybody about it. That's the other thing. When you get a Traeger, you got, I think you become like a like a disciple. You know, like you just became one of <laughs> Jesus' disciples because, you know, like he gave the Great Commission, right? He told his disciples to go throughout all the world and spread the good news of the gospel. And when you become you get a Traeger it's like you become a disciple because all of a sudden like you're telling like the guy in line at Walmart uh, you know oh you dude let me show you let me, let me show you what I got this week and I'm going to throw this on the Traeger or, or you're telling like the guy in the, in the next office at work and you're bringing me in and, and you're giving this to everybody and I, I think people think like I became like I joined a cult or something and because I, I just can't <laughs> stop, stop talking about this Traeger but, but one of the big misconceptions that people have is like oh you got one of those smoker grills like you can't actually grill anything on that or it's going to take you like you have to wait like 90 minutes to get that thing hot and it's like dude you don't even understand okay let's we, we kind of jumped right past this but let's explain to people Chad how easy it is to use one of these Traegers okay there's basically you've got your grill and there's a hopper attached to the side of the grill where you put your wood pellets in okay and the wood pellets come in, in all different styles of woods flavors uh, you know, different applications, and we can talk about some of that. But basically, it's so easy. It's actually easier than using a propane grill in a lot of ways because it's very hard, I found, over the years, right? How do you control the absolute temperature on a propane grill? They, they tend to get really hot. That Traeger, I mean, you literally turn it on, you turn the dial to the temperature you want, and it feeds pellets, and when it gets warm enough, it cuts it off, and when it needs more, it feeds it. It, it, it can't be simple. And it only takes about 10 minutes to heat up yeah no you're, you're absolutely correct and and yeah so what you've got is you've got and the pellets are available in around eight different distinct flavors as far as uh my my favorite go-to is probably a 50 50 mix of cherry and pecan you get a little bit of the nuttiness from, from the pecan you get a little bit of sweet from the cherry it's kind of my wild game go-to um and so, yeah, you, you put it in there and literally then that controller, once you set what temp you want to cook at, it just has an algorithm that just says, okay, to stay at this temperature, I need to provide this much air and this and this many pellets. And it's just kind of a beautiful symphony. You're, you, you've at that point got two, three responsibilities. One, enjoy yourself. Two, don't let it run out of pellets. And three, pull it off at the right temperature. You can you can do those things. You, you you're going to be the hero of the hunt camp. Yeah, you try to make a beautiful symphony on your Kingsford charcoal. Um, yeah, yeah. Now let's talk. That's about, more like a, that, that's more that's that's more like a garage band. <laughs> now let's talk about grilling versus smoking, because that's the other thing people think too is like, 
oh, you can't just grill stuff on the Traeger. Oh, you can, or you know, or, or at least what we all tend to think of as grill. Maybe, maybe I'm even abusing the term, but like, I have done this. You know, like you can absolutely come home, turn, you know, start your Traeger, turn it up to high, and like just throw a bunch of burgers and dogs on there and do them in like ten yeah. minutes. That's, you can do that. Yeah. Um, where is there a temperature sort of cutoff where you you transition from you know what I would refer to as smoking to what I would refer to as grilling. I don't know if those are the same terms you would use, but yeah, I, I think you kind of understand what I'm asking you. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And, and I consider it to be, for me, and it's like a political discussion in the barbecue world of what, where that changes. But for me personally, uh, 325 degrees. Once you go 325 or above, I think you're doing really more grilling. Um, and then anything below 325, I think is, actually, I would say 275 and down to me is smoking. 325 and above is grilling and 275 to 325 is just there. <laughs> it's kind of a hybrid of both. So that, that would be my, my feedback on it. Um, and, and, and the other thing that's nice too is when you do grill on a Traeger, you don't have to worry about the flare-ups. You know, when you're doing that on a propane grill or a charcoal grill, you're doing something with a high fat content like a burger that's, you know, either 75-25 or 80-20 lean to, to fat. You you know, when you do that on propane, it's dripping down there, you're getting these flare-ups. And I remember as a kid, you know, before Traeger was around, you, know, you always had to have a freaking water bottle next to you to spritz down the flames so everything didn't get burned up. We don't have to worry about that because we have a drip pan that grabs all that fat and, and kind of just through this amazing thing called gravity, pulls it, <laughs> pulls it, pull, 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 pulls it down into the, the drip bucket where you can just clean out the drip bucket and you're done so you don't have to worry about that. Um, so th- yeah, you can definitely grill on it. Uh, I do it all the time. I mean, I love, sometimes when I do like a bigger, thicker burger that like I've hand patted out like a yeah. three-quarter quarter pound patty like a, a man burger yeah um, I'll, I'll usually cook it at 275 the whole time but if I'm doing that thinner you know party type burger yep. yeah man 375 on the Traeger is uh, is money yeah absolutely and um, you know the other thing that I wanted to ask you about you kind of touched on it but but you know let's talk about it a little bit more and again as a you know as a new Traeger user and, and for those who are listening who maybe have never used it you know like I got a couple different bags of pellets I think like I, I don't know if what you guys call it it's like your signature blend or whatever is kind of like your standard yep. kind of deal and then you know there's like uh, I've got some of the cherry and I think the the mesquite as well how do you know like what kind of pellets am I supposed to use with the and what kind of meats and then and then there's also a part of me that's like you know like guy like Chad he probably can really tell the different nuances but for a newbie like I bet you no matter what kind of pellet I used it still would come out pretty good even though maybe there is you know you want to gravitate more towards one or the other depending on what you're cooking yeah so for me like there's a couple to know um like like especially for you know the hunters that are listening to this which is the majority of the audience we we actually have one that we made for wild game called the big game blend and it's white oak red oak hickory and rosemary um it's really good on beef and it's really good on any really red meat um and i like that one um to me the the ones just to keep an eye on like mesquite mesquite is a very distinct 
distinct, strong flavor. Um, Texans love it. It's what they were raised on. Um, so just be careful with that with something delicate like wild game. Um, everything else is kind of up to you. If, if you like stronger smoke flavor, um, big game blend, hickory, oak, if you like that, I don't kind of want to be beat over the head with the smoke, but I like it to have a kiss of smoke. That's where you get into your apples, your cherries, your, your softwoods, um, your pecans, those types of things. Um, that's really the guideline I use. The, the harder woods are going to have more smoke flavor. The softer woods are going to have a little less smoke flavor. And what about your alder? Where does that come in? Asking the wrong guy. I have never used a bag of alder pellets, and I think it's because that's a northwest blend, kind of a, a, a native northwest wood. Yeah. And I lived and grew up in the southeast. I think so. I never had alder around, and so I've, I've never. I know a lot of people like to use alder on fish. That's what I was going to say. I think that the people like to smoke their salmon with that and stuff. Yeah, and, and it's one of those two that even though it's a harder wood, it's not super. It's not super strong compared to like a hickory or mesquite. Okay, a couple more questions, Chad. I know that you only have so much time. This is a big one coming right back to the heart and soul of the hunting community. You know, we talked about roasts and backstraps and, you know, some of those more traditional cuts of meat. I know that one thing that all of us as hunters struggle with from time to time is, you know, there's just certain cuts. Like on a wild turkey, the legs would be notorious, you know. So many guys are like, um, oh, man, I just breast and release my turkeys. You know what I mean? In other words, they don't really want to deal with the legs because they've tried to do different things and they're really tough and it's dark meat. And okay, um, you know, again, on a on a. You know, on a, a bigger game animal, you know, maybe it's, you know, that that neck meat or the flank meat or, you know, just some of those cuts that aren't going to be the ones you're thinking about, man, when you walk up on that animal where your mouth is already watering for those those hams or those back straps, those tenderloins. So talk to me about some of the harder cuts of meat and things that maybe we can do on the, the Traeger that are going to take those what we would sort of think of as marginal and turn them into like a delicacy yeah so when you're looking at let's take like turkey legs for instance um one thing and the reason that they're so tough is turkey legs are full of of cartilage and ligaments right so there's two things you've got to do one is you've got to take and and you want a good pair like kitchen shears but if we're looking at that whole turkey leg you want to start at, at, at the the handle joint as i call it and you want to go up about two inches and you want to take your kitchen shears and you want to cut it so cut cut that cut two inches off of that bone by the handle and then on the bulb side where the meat is do the same exact thing start from the end come in two inches and cut and what that is going to do is that's going to release you ever notice when you when you cook a turkey a turkey drum that sometimes the skin will break the skin will yeah. break because those those ligaments and tendons that are running from joint to joint, as you apply heat, they tighten up like yeah, a guitar string. Yes, yes. And, and so if we, 
I call it notching the knuckles. So if we cut two inches off on the handle side, cut two inches off on the bulb side, we've now released those tendons and ligaments. And, it's, and we're not going to worry about the skin busting. And it's also going to give us a, a, a nicer... Uh, better bite. Uh, and the other thing with those is you've got to cook them to 195 to 200 degrees. And I also think once you cut those two ends, if you want to put those down in a brine for maybe three or four hours, um, and we have an orange brine that we got on the Traeger website that's perfect for, for wild wild poultry. Um, and, and what the brining will do, there's a difference between brining and marinating. Marinating, you're only going to get penetration on a marinade maybe a quarter inch into the meat. Whereas brining, brining is a process of osmosis. So we're taking this salty, um, salt-concentrated liquid, <coughs> excuse me, and we're wanting the, the it's, it wants to balance itself out. So what's going to happen is not just the, the salt and the moisture, but all the other flavors in there are going to gravitate to the meat so that they can equalize how much salt in the meat and how much salt in the, in the solution. About three to four hours on a leg is really good. Probably about two hours on a two to three hours on a wild breast is good. If you go much longer than that, it'll actually start to denature and cook the meat a little bit. So just be careful when you're brining. The other thing when you're brining is make sure you rinse the exterior of that meat off because what happens is it actually the water and the water and all the flavoring goes into the meat. The salt stays on the outside. So you want to wash all that salt off. Um, so yeah. Brine it, and then I'm cooking, like I said, to probably 195 to 200 degrees on a, on a turkey leg. And, uh, man, it, it should just be a perfect bite um, when you jump in there and get, get some of it. What about, uh, like, on a big game animal? You ever do anything with, like, elk ribs? I, I know, I think I've seen Dudley do some stuff with that. Yeah, me and, me and, me and Doug did some elk ribs. And the thing you got to look for on elk ribs is there is kind of this... And I'm probably gonna butcher what it is, but it's almost—it's a no, it's like a silver skin. Yeah. So you, you end up—you end up having some meat on top, then you'll have the silver skin, then you'll have a little bit of meat, and then you'll have the ribs. You've got to take from the bottom. You, you've got to get that silver skin off of there. So it, it's gonna look like you have a lot thinner rib, but when you cook it, it's gonna be a much better bite. And once again, I'm looking for like on those probably about 185 to 190 when they're done. And the other thing, if you have the time and a super sharp knife, is once you've taken off that silver skin, you'll have about an inch and a half or two inches of meat on top of that. If you wanna, if you wanna take a sharp knife and really just kind of peel that silver skin off you can take that two inches of meat that's not attached to the rib and not attached to the silver skin anymore and almost treat it like a flat iron steak you know cook it cook it really quick really hot until about 130 degrees and, it, and it'll it'll it, it'll you know slice it against the grain and it's a pretty good little appetizer cool well i'll tell you what man it is really no wonder 
that you guys do all day schools on this because we've only spent you know 50 minutes talking about this stuff and I feel like we could go for a week and never get to the bottom of the barrel on everything there is to know about this stuff so I appreciate well, man, I, I want to yeah I want to throw the invitation out there as we get later into the year and we get into some you know some real big game season man if you want to have me back on and we deep dive into some more of that man I'm I'm always game I enjoy getting to meet you and uh and 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 Pennsylvania and then man I'll tell you I mean I love the barbecue community but you know the last two years I've really got to meet some amazing people in the outdoor community and uh, I absolutely love it and uh, you know people you know like I mentioned before I can't thank Dudley enough as a friend for all the people he's introducing to in that world and, and just everything I've learned from him um, so so no man I, if, if there's ever a need you want to bring me back on man I would love to chat some more about it and, and one other thing I do want to say is uh, you know guys if you have any questions after you hear this podcast just follow me on Instagram uh, whiskey bit BBQ and I promise you if you take 10 seconds out of your day to send me a DM I can take 10 seconds out of mine to uh, it may not it, it may not be rapid it may be a day or two um, or it may be rapid it all depends on where I'm at and what's going on but uh if you reach out to me, I will do everything I can to reach out and answer your questions. Yeah, absolutely, Chad. I appreciate your, you know, you're a man of the people. And also, I want to make sure people know that if you just go on the Traeger uh, website, uh, which is TraegerGrills.com, or download their app, um, there's kinds of resources that are really helpful, again, for newbies like me, especially. Like, if you need to know, you know, well, what temperature should, you know, my venison be, or my turkey be, or my be, you know, whatever you're cooking, you need to know that. If you need recipes, if you need videos of, you know, how to, uh, you know, do all these different methods, there's a lot of stuff there, Chad, for people to consume. No, I completely agree. And it's a great resource. Over 1,300 recipes right now. Um, we've got a blog there that has plenty of good information. Also, follow us on our social channels. We've got uh, we've got five Instagram accounts, Traeger Recipes, Traeger Outdoors, Traeger Culinary, Traeger Barbecue, and Traeger Grills. And then our Facebook page is super, super active, too. And, uh, and our YouTube has some really good tips from the pros and kind of how-to stuff. So we love to engage the community. We, we try to do it a lot through social media. We try to do it through events. Um, so, but we're here for you guys, and uh, we appreciate all the support. Well, we appreciate you, man. And uh, listen, I, honestly, I'm not just blowing smoke. Uh, I think this is one of the best episodes that we've ever done on Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. There's a lot of, I, I had a lot of fun, uh, got a lot of practical information. And like I said at the very beginning, I think this is something that listeners are going to be coming back to uh, throughout the season as they get animals in the freezer because they're going to be wanting to try a lot of this delicious information that you dished out for us today. Well, Christian, man, thank, thank you for the kind words. I, I really enjoyed it, too. I mean, you, you had all the right questions, and I'm glad I had answers for them. <laughs> yeah, thanks, brother. You got the – when it comes to meat, you got the answers. Do me a favor. Hang on the line right now. I got a quick uh, tip for you here on a new rub. But uh, thanks again, Chad. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, wish you all the best. I hope you get your freezers filled and you enjoy some delicious uh, smoked meats here in the uh, uh, year ahead. Thank you for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com.